Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. That, uh, that poem uh, gives its name to the book that we're using as the foundation uh, for our next several weeks of study, uh, Bible study and worship and preaching. It's called Breathing Underwater, and it's a book by Richard Rohr. I'll talk a little bit more about him in a few minutes, but uh, I'm looking forward to this time because uh, we're getting into something that is, is really quite deep. Uh, we'll be journeying through the scriptures, looking carefully at the gospel, and uh, understanding, I hope, ourselves in uh, deeper and deeper ways as we all try to follow Jesus very closely. Would you pray with me before we begin? Oh God, we thank you for those surprise gifts that come our way when we read a book that changes our lives, when we meet a person who invites us into deeper faith, when we have a close and personal encounter with the risen Jesus. Lord, we pray for that today for each of us, that we might be with you, that we might know you, and that somehow in knowing you, we might know ourselves a little better. Open our hearts and minds to what you say to us today through your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Many years ago, uh, a great theologian and pastor named Richard Rohr gave uh, a series of lectures Uh, in which he connected the 12 steps of recovery. I think most of us know what the 12 steps of recovery, or at least know the concept. Uh, It's known so well as the heart of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and other recovery groups. Rohr connected those 12 steps with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the heart of the gospel. He made a very personal discovery that recovery and salvation have all these beautiful linkages that actually strengthen one another. Those lectures, Rohr's lectures, became this book which undergirds our worship and preaching series for the next uh, two months or so. The poem you heard uh, a few moments ago inspired the title. I want to say from the outset as we're getting into this conversation, we are borrowing, borrowing from our sisters and brothers who are part of the 12-step recovery community. Many of you are part of that community, and we praise God for the transformation God has brought to your life through that community. Many of us also are not part of of that community, so we're learning about something which is very new to us, the 12 steps of recovery, the vocabulary of recovery, the importance of groups, the realities of addiction, and on and on and on. And so 
To me, it feels a little bit strange to be talking about all of this as a person who is not part of the recovery community. So, I called some friends who are part of that community to ask what they thought about me leading a conversation like this. They were very kind and and happy to think with me through this work, through this conversation, and to think with me about how the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually at the heart of their recovery. We'll hear from some of those folks along the way over the next two months. So I, I ask their permission to have this conversation, to lead this conversation, and to, to borrow from their world in such a, a deep way. And they said, well, we don't think you need our permission, but if you do, you have it. Go right ahead. It's good stuff. One of them also said helpfully, uh, just don't say anything stupid if you could. <laughs> so I'm going to try to adhere to that and not say anything stupid. I am very grateful for their willingness to open the door to the journey of recovery so that we can all learn from them. I also want to say uh, the next several weeks uh, may open our eyes, may open some eyes to concerns of addiction in your own life. We want you to know help is available reach out to one of your pastors or one of the many professionals in our community or to one of our congregational care ministers. They'll be around uh, in both worship spaces for the duration of this series. They've got special name tags. Steve Gass has got his own. It says congregational care minister right there. And you can, you can find those folks after worship and have a private conversation or just ask for how to get a little bit more help. There's also a link in the up and coming. There's a QR code and we've got a, a special web page on our church website with resources for folks who first maybe just want to see what resources are available as you kind of unpack this stuff in your own life. The most important thing to say is you don't have to suffer in silence and you don't have to sit in shame. You may feel moved by the Spirit to get back into your work of recovery. Please do that. It is work for sure, but it's really good work, and we're all better for it. You may also find through our conversations that you are struggling with what it is to live with an addict of some kind. Help is available for you as well. Just let us know or reach out in some way. I do not expect everybody to rush forward and share their deepest struggles. But I do want you to know that help is available. I do also want you to know that we've all got those struggles. We all have our struggles. Our church is actually full of folks who are in recovery or who are trying to get in recovery from everything you can imagine. Please know that any conversation that you have with your pastors or church staff will be held always in the strictest of confidence. Any confession or struggle will be met with love grace, no judgment, and hope in the power of Jesus to heal and make whole. Just know that as we get into this work. I also uh, want to encourage you to embrace the gift of counseling, if, if that's something that would be helpful to you. Uh, you may be surprised to find out all of your pastors go to counseling. It's actually good stuff. It's been very helpful in my life and in the lives of your other pastors. It's good stuff for those who are brave enough to try it, to jump into that and see what God can show us through that work too. Sometimes in the church world, it's easy to look around and imagine that everybody just has it all together. Perfect children, perfect clothes, nice car, nice house, whatever. Sometimes we even talk and act like we have it all together. Let me just tell you, no, that's not right, okay? 
We do not actually have it all together, even if we look like we have it all together. This is a church full of hungry, broken sinners who are ready to be made whole and healed in Jesus. And I just want to say, I am the chief sinner in the corner office with the nice furniture. That's who I am at this place. And so remember that as we get into this work and begin to think about things that might touch a deep place uh, within, within each one of us. I want to read from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. This one's not on the screen. Uh, this is chapter 3, just a few verses from chapter 3 that kind of reminds us of something. Chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. My pages are stuck together. Must have snowed on them as they came, we came in here. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds us of our shared identity as the broken people of God who are being made whole in Jesus. Richard Rohr, who wrote this book, he writes this. He writes, I began to wonder whether addiction could be a helpful metaphor for what the Bible calls sin. This is the first foundational connection between the gospel and the 12-step program. It is helpful to see sin, like addiction, as a disease instead of merely something that made God mad. Rohr echoes the Apostle Paul when he says, our universal addiction, the addiction that we all share together, is our stinking thinking. Can you say stinking thinking? our stinking thinking. We are addicted to our own habitual ways of doing things, our own defenses, our own ways of processing reality. It's very different than alcohol or drugs because we can't see it or touch it. Still, it is there, often disguised as something else. We have to name it if we ever hope to deal with it or to invite God to deal with it on our behalf. We are naming it today. The scriptures call this addiction sin. The church has come to call and to explain this as a selfishness rooted in scarcity and fear. Jesus helps us understand it as the stubborn refusal to get the log out of our own eye before we try to help get the speck out of our neighbor's eye. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, exposes the lies that we tell ourselves, the hidden sin which creeps in, and the dangerous ways of thinking about the world which actually fly in the face of what God is really doing in the world. Salvation is our journey to recovery from this sin. We find healing, wholeness, and hope in that salvation in Jesus we find this rhythm, there's a rhythm in the biblical idea of salvation, which you could define like this. We suffer to get well, we surrender to win, we die to live, we give it away to keep it. Listen to that rhythm. We, we suffer to get well, we surrender to win, we die to live, we give it away to keep it. You uh, 12 steppers have already discovered this rhythm. The rest of us are trying to catch up with you. The first two steps on the 12-step journey are powerlessness and desperation. Powerlessness and desperation. Let's hear from some scripture which sheds light on our human experience. We start with Romans chapter 7 
and we'll hear verses 14 through 25. Let's hear from the Word of God. For we know, Paul writes, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will or desire to do what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that's what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is very honest in Romans chapter 7. We hear the struggle. We hear the pain. We know that struggle, don't we? Powerlessness over sin, brokenness, or even addiction in our lives. We know that feeling. Our 12-steppers would remind us that admitting our powerlessness is the most critical first step in the journey to recovery, admitting our powerlessness. The thing that's so strange about us human beings is we like to skip this step. We just want to skip over it. The problem is you can't. You cannot skip that first most critical step. A friend of mine started the 12-step journey years ago. He was ready to be made well. He was an alcoholic, is an alcoholic. He had read everything that AA gave him, Alcoholics Anonymous. He read it all. He became a subject matter expert, and he was ready to get it done. He wanted to knock out those 12 steps just as fast as anybody ever had. His sponsor had to yank his chain and say, hey, just a minute, you're not even ready to make the first step yet. And that first step is admitting our powerlessness over addiction or sin and that our lives have become unmanageable because of it. It's easy to say that, but it's really hard to actually mean it, to actually mean it. To mean it is to come at the situation with great humility and with a deepening awareness of our inability to fix the problem which is continually destroying our lives, whether it be addiction of some kind or our sin, as Paul describes. It takes time and prayer and self-reflection to actually get to this place of confession. As I reread uh, the chapters 1 and 2 from Rohr's book on Monday, I, I had a kind of a, a surprise moment of conviction about a part of my life which has always needed attention. I kind of suppress it over time, but uh, you, you all you may can tell this. I am a workaholic. I am a workaholic. I am addicted to work. I love work. I love what I do. I have admitted that many times. And I have tried to fix myself many times related to this work. I'm still trying to fix this thing myself. What came so clear to me as I was reading and praying and thinking through this is my own stinking thinking that is still within me after all these years. It goes like this for me, the workaholic. 
If I can just work a little harder, work a little smarter, work a little more, if I can just work another two or three hours, if I can just do that, why then I won't have to bother God with my panicked prayers of desperation. That's what I think on an almost daily basis. To say that out loud is embarrassing, is stupid, is selfish, and the truth is it is idolatrous, and yet there it is. If the last, last 15 years of work are any proof, I am powerless to fix it. I am powerless to fix it myself. We come again to the Apostle Paul, now 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Once a person gets to that ever-deepening awareness of his powerlessness, then sets in the hunger, the desperation for the one who can actually do something about the problem. Let's hear these words from Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He who rescued us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again. As followers of Jesus, our desperation is for the God revealed to us in Jesus. We are coming to believe that this gospel which we preach and teach and try to live this gospel has at its heart the precious gift of God's grace, which is already at work doing that which we cannot do for ourselves, forgiving us our sin, healing our brokenness, and inviting us into a way of living that is rooted in God's love and grace. We are desperate for this healing. We are all desperate for this healing, and we're finally willing to let go of whatever it is in our lives which is ultimately keeping us from that healing. That's the second of the 12 steps, coming to believe that a power greater than our own could restore us to sanity. This is surrender, surrender, both in the 12-step world and in the world of faith. Richard Rohr says, surrender is an extended journey. No one does it right on the first or even the second and usually not even the third try. Our desire for God to save us must be significantly deepened and broadened. One of the most powerful things I've ever read about salvation is that to finally surrender ourselves to healing, we must have three spaces opened within us and all at the same time. Three spaces opened within us and all at the same time. Our opinionated head, our closed-down heart, and our defensive body. Those three things have to be opened at the same time. This is the work of a power greater than ourselves. This is the work of God. And if we will take God's hand for the journey, that work will lead to a depth of awareness and perception about ourselves and about others that will change our lives forever. That, I think, is the true light which enlightens everyone. From John chapter 1, what has come into being in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The faith of Jesus invites us into this space where body, mind, and soul are all one, always together, and never apart. The work of God's grace is to bring healing and wholeness to that whole creation, which is yourself, 
God created us to be whole beings with body, mind, and soul. Sin has infected the whole thing. Jesus will heal the whole thing. Somehow, the wholeness of God's good creation is to be found when body, mind, and soul are opened together to the work of God's grace. Now, we know all this up here, but we often neglect that the way of a disciple includes the integration of your faith into every part of your life, how you live, how you eat, how you talk to others, how you think about the world, how you act in the world, all of it, body, mind, and soul, is all together. Why? That's just how God wanted it to be. It is the recipe for the fullness of life for which we are all so desperate. Living toward this way of being requires some hard, honest work and a desperation, a desperation for Jesus. Ask any of your friends who are in recovery, and they'll tell you the truth, sometimes truth you don't even want to hear. They will say, this journey is not for the faint of heart, but it is, it is where you will meet the God who is saving you from yourself and who is offering new life to you and to the whole world. That is the hope of the journey which we begin today. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we give you thanks for the blessing of your gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ that brings healing and wholeness to all of us, for your grace that's already at work within us even before we realize it. Today we come to your throne recognizing that perhaps we all need to step back and spend some time considering our powerlessness over sin and our desperation for you to save us. Lord, would you deepen and broaden the work of your gospel in our lives, even when it takes us to difficult, painful, and challenging places. For we know that on the other side is wholeness. The journey, the journey there is the key. Give us your grace, O God, as we make it together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.